Welcome, everyone, to another edition of BAMS Radio here on this Sunday evening. I am your co-host, Drew DeArmond. Uh, we always enjoy bringing you Crimson Tide conversation. I'm with my two cohorts, as always, Thomas the Wizard Watts in Mobile in the Port City, producing our show and giving us his thoughts and opinions and metrics uh, when it comes to the University of Alabama and the Crimson Tide. And William Redfish Barger from 89 to 93, a national champion with the University of Alabama, and, of course, uh, a guy that still has his uh, finger on the pulse of Crimson Tide football. And a very impressive win for the Tide to close out a 10-0 regular season. Certainly started slow. It was tied at three late in the first quarter, uh, but it was dominated from there uh, forward as Alabama outscored the Hogs 49 to nothing uh, as they dismantled them 52-3, to and they set a record. Uh, being the first SEC team to go 10 and 0 in the in conference, and of course to to drop 50 points in five games in half of those, as the Alabama offense continued to roll behind Mac Jones, and then abbreviated appearances from uh, Najee Harris and the great Devontae Smith, who still had a huge impact on the game. Probably had the most game-changing play, of course, and that was the punt return. And uh, the thing I was marveling, guys, and William, I'm going to bring you into the conversation. Uh, it's amazing. Uh, just a, a few months ago, Devontae Smith was the third-string punt returner, and he takes one 84 yards to the house. In many ways, I think it may have enhanced his Heisman candidacy as people see how many ways he can affect the game. And quite frankly, I don't know that he'll win the Heisman, William, but I really think he's the best player in the country. I don't disagree. Um, I, you know, I want to know why I still have to watch Brian Robinson return kickoffs. Um, you know, if, if Devontae's that good at, at punt returns, uh, why can't he return kickoffs as well? But, um, no, I mean, you know, I think, you know, the, the game yesterday with Arkansas, Drew, the thing that really stuck out to me was, um, and, and, you know, nobody has heard, I don't think any of us really talk in a positive fashion about Pete Golding and the defense for two years now. But, you know, when, when you saw on the opening play, when, when, you know, maybe, maybe your most dynamic player on defense and Christian Harris goes down and uh, is lost for, you know, at least the rest of the game. And, you know, they insert Jalen Moody into the game, kind of a forgotten guy. Um, you know, I think mainly because of, you know, Alabama's inside linebacker depth chart, and he certainly wasn't highly recruited coming out of high school. Uh, but, I, but I thought Jalen Moody came in and did a phenomenal job. I think he ended up tied um, with the most tackles on the, on the defense. Um, I thought he played a phenomenal game coming off the bench, certainly not expecting to. Um, but, you know, I think Thomas and I were talking before you came on and, uh, yeah, I told Thomas if I was giving out a, a game ball to somebody on the defense yesterday, I don't necessarily know who I would give it to, but the three people, you know, that would be in contention for it would be Christian Barmore, Jalen Moody, and Will Anderson. Yeah, I mean, I think all three of those guys played outstanding. Matter of fact, I'll just go ahead and say this. Uh, Alabama fans might as well get ready because with what's gone on, uh, and, and how much he's played and how well he's played down the stretch because he got off to a slow start. And, of course, had, I think part of it was an issue 
where he got into it with the coaches in practice and was really suspended. But he's so talented, and he seems to be playing. And you you hope it continues on the biggest stage in the in the SEC championship game in the playoff. Don't play hero ball. But if he just keeps doing his job, you mentioned Christian Barmore, William, and he had two sacks yesterday. He's been so disruptive lately. If he continues with this level of play uh, through the next three games, and that would mean if Alabama wins the SEC championship game and they win the semifinal and get to the national title game, I think Christian Barmore will leave and be a first-round draft choice uh, at about the same stage as Quinnen Williams when Quinnen was a sophomore. He certainly hasn't had the consistent year Quinnen had, but sometimes it's about getting hot at the right time. He is rushing the hell out of the passer, playing the run. William, if he keeps this up, I think this will be his last year in Crimson. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, there's such a premium for, you know, somebody with his size and, and, and length. I mean, you know, he can go to a, you know, a 3-4 defense and be a five-technique defensive end or – you know, he, he can go to a 4-3 um, package and, and, you know, be a one and a three technique. But, you know, the thing that makes him such a difficult assignment for a center and offensive guard is, you know, typically those guys are shorter and more compact, um, even at the NFL level. And, uh, you know, Barmore's just got, you know, such a tremendous wingspan. You can see it utilized when he rushes the passer. You know, he tends to get better hand position. Um, and is able to disengage from blocks and, and, and you know, make, you know, plays for a loss or disruptive plays. But, uh, you know, we, we probably wouldn't have been, uh, and I get it, you know, if he had been a, you know, a problem child at practice and got into it with the coaches. But, man, I think we'd be having a, you know, a different fall conversation every Sunday about the defense if Christian Barmore had had a bigger role. Yeah, no doubt. And I was going to bring Thomas in. Thomas, your thoughts on what we've seen out of Barmore? Well, I think that it's going to come down to what an NFL team wants in a defensive tackle. Barmore has been so disruptive as a penetrating one-gap defensive tackle. And that's, that's great. Like, th- there is a need for that in the NFL. But... He is going to get dogged by some of his uh, outbursts. I was trying to think of the word to use that would be kind. Some of his outbursts that Alabama fans have been subjected to. On the field, I think he has flashes of first-round pick production, particularly in the back half of the year. That can push him to a first-round pick, but it will be interesting to see just because of some of the, man, I'm done, I'm out, and pulling all the stuff off his Instagram and all that other nonsense. It will be interesting to see how his interviews, like that part of the game or that part of the process, plays out. So I think on the field, yeah, you got a first-round pick, but not every franchise is willing to take on some of the immaturity and so that will get him knocked off some draft boards, Drew. Well, it could potentially. You're right. I mean, certainly he has been immature, uh, but he's a, an outstanding talent. Like Williams said, what he can do is at a premium in the game today because it's become such a passing league and you got to be able to disrupt and get after the quarterback. Certainly he's been doing that. Uh, and, and Williams right also as far as 
uh, for, for the game balls on defense. I don't think there's any question that uh, Jalen Moody was outstanding. Uh, he certainly surprised me. I wondered how, th- how things would go when Christian Harris, who's had a really good year, gotten better, uh, have, have, uh, how, how it's gone. But I'll be honest, I didn't think the defense skipped a beat. I thought Jalen Moody played as well or better than we'd seen uh, 32 Dylan Moses and even Christian Harris at times play because Harris has had some moments where he overran uh, plays. But, man, uh, I thought Jalen Moody was extremely solid. He was always in the right spot. Of course, now some people will say, oh, well, you're playing Florida. I don't know if he can be as effective against those guys. If he does his job and he's in the right spot, he can be, uh, certainly. So, And certainly Florida's a much better offensive team, so it'll be a challenge. But I do think uh, that Jalen Moody, I think, should give the coaching staff a lot of confidence going into this week uh, because uh, Nick Saban uh, had a teleconference earlier this afternoon for the SEC championship game, and all he would say about Christian Harris is he has a chance to play this week. Uh, I have not heard what the MRI had to say and how severe it really is. But when he's cryptic like that, a lot of times I start thinking of Christian Miller in the national championship game when he didn't play it down. So if I were an Alabama fan, I wouldn't count on seeing eight. I would be looking for 42 and hope that he played well. And But I will say this. If you want to have a special team, if you want to have a national championship team, if you want to go undefeated, guys have to step up when their name is called. And so I think that's what we're going to start seeing. We've seen this year, DJ Dale has not been near what we all thought he would be. We all understand that. Uh, But we've seen guys like Tim Smith have a good freshman year. He played a lot again yesterday and Jamil Burroughs. So, and when uh, Jalen Waddle was lost, uh, maybe we'll see if it's for the season. We'll see if he's back for the playoff, but you saw Slade Bolden step up huge against Tennessee and since that time, we've seen Jaleel Billingsley get involved. There's always seemed to be an answer found by this coaching staff. So I'm not going to be one that's going to be pessimistic about it. But I, I don't know about you, William, but watching Moody perform the way he did was very encouraging. No, it was. And, you know, you bring up a great point about, you know, every all the intangibles that goes into, you know, a championship season. Um, but but I, I just thought that, you know, the way that the, the flow of that game started, um, you know, there was some good jockeying back and forth there in the first quarter. Um, you know, I, I think Thomas hit the nail on the head. Old Barry Odom decided he was going to keep everything in front of him. And so, you know, that knocked down Mac Jones' stats. There wasn't the, the deep balls that you've seen. Uh, but, you know, if you, if you start, you know, peeling that onion away, I mean, there was still – you know, a lot of good things done offensively. But to me, I thought the um, the highlight of the game, you know, needs to tend over to or trend over to the defensive side of the ball. You know, that that was a an RPO offense with a quarterback that's, you know, not, not a Cam Newton for, for Christ's sakes, but, you know, he is a threat to run the football. And um, to me, I thought that was the best. Um, you know, production performance out of the defense and Pete Golding uh, for the 2020 season, even more so than Auburn. Yeah, no doubt. And, I mean, I just think uh, when you see a guy like Moody who did the next man up and was ready to go, I mean, I got to give Pete Golding some credit. I've, you know, been as hard on him as anyone, but that's the position he coaches. And he, Moody's a kid he personally recruited and evaluated. So, 
to me, William, what it encouraged me about is I think we all expect Dylan Moses to go pro. I think we all believe he could use another year, like uh, when we saw uh, Dante Hightower come back. But more than likely, he's gone. But it gives me hope that maybe a guy like Moody could be the Mike linebacker next year and you could leave Christian Harris at the will. No, I certainly think that's a possibility. I mean, it didn't look like that the you know the game was too fast for him last night. I mean, you don't end up you know tied on the team for tackles if you're having trouble processing what you're seeing in front of you. But you know, I, I just I thought it was very encouraging just to see the way the the whole defense played um, last night. You know, they didn't look like they were looking ahead to anybody. Um, you know, the defensive line was disruptive. You know, Moses and Moody, um, you know, made a lot of plays. The back end of the defense, um, you know, was as solid as they always are. Um, so, you know, that was good to see because, you know, what I saw was a kind of like a high watermark for the defense versus Auburn. And then, um, you know, last week it kind of trickled off a little bit. and It looked like they were really back on their game yesterday at 11 a.m. Yeah, it did. And then I thought, honestly, Alabama was really solid in all three phases. And unlike Florida, who basically mailed one in, uh, and I mean, just I just think it's ridiculous. I, I, I'm stunned, William, quite frankly. After what I saw out of LSU last week and really the last month, to see what Florida did and to lay the turd that Dan Mullen did again. And that's why, to me, Dan Mullen is never going to be a championship coach. Uh, he's never beat Nick Saban. I don't think he'll beat him this week. Um, he's never won a title. I don't think he ever will uh, because I think he, he he's too arrogant. He thinks he knows everything. I don't think he had his team prepared to play. They weren't in the right mindset. Uh, Trask has certainly been a great story. I don't think he's as good as Mac Jones. We saw him struggle at times against LSU yesterday. And I and cry me a river on Kyle Pitts deciding to bitch out and not play because I think that's basically what happened. I don't care what Florida says. Or, or, or let me amend that. Florida's coaches probably just decided they didn't want to take a chance on him getting Nick, wanted to have him against Alabama. And he is a matchup nightmare, best tight end in the country. So they decided to let him take the day off. And so, but it ended up costing them because to me, you, you blow a chance to be in the playoffs now. Uh, you know, but I didn't think they were that good anyway. I still think Alabama is two or three scores better than this team uh, if they play well. And quite frankly, I didn't think Alabama played great yesterday. I thought they were efficient. I think they can play better. And certainly, we, we haven't mentioned it yet, but Evan Neal was not in the lineup, William. He was out due to contact tracing. Uh, Amari Kite, a backup O-lineman, young player, had has COVID and he knocked out Evan Neal, who I think is his roommate. Uh, so they had to they put Chris Owens in there at right tackle, and I and Owens has always been a swing guy, and I thought he played pretty well, William. I mean, certainly I don't think he's a great center or guard. I've always felt like he was a better tackle, and not to say he's an All SEC level, but for a game or two, he's a guy I think you can play and beat people. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, I think the the most important thing that you brought up um, was, you know, the Dan Mullen factor. And, you know, I think you can, you know, feel pretty confident in saying that he's a, a good evaluator of quarterbacks. 
yeah uh, you know certainly a good certainly a good developer of them uh probably a, a, a jam up offensive coordinator but yeah i would agree with you drew i think if you watch um you know his tenure at mississippi state and and, and you know now in gainesville um i i just I'm, I'm like you i don't see him ever you know being a you know a, a college football playoff level head coach um which I don't think Jimbo Fisher is either, and they've still got a chance. But um, I, I, I just think, you know, for, for the same reasons that you brought up, there's always something kind of like the, you know, the riot that you, you brought up that he incited, you know, the week before. Um, Missouri, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you, you just can't act that way. And, um, you know, it, it's gone from – in my opinion, a short 20 years from, say, like a Steve Spurrier, you know, kind of doing some uh, verbal jousting during the press conferences during the week with, with, you know, Phil Fulmer and, you know, I guess Gene Stallings and Mike Dubos when Steve was at, at Florida, um, to, you know, people wanting to, you know, put, a, put somebody out there as the representative in the face of their program um, you know, at the college football level, especially the SEC level, you can't do that. And, um, I mean, I ain't going to lie. That, that, you know, shit show last night where, you know, Wilson threw the, the, the cleat, um, I mean, th- there's so many different ramifications that you can talk about with that, but he's going to end up watching that for the rest of his life as, you know, one of the dumbest personal fouls that has ever been committed in college football. Yeah, I mean, he really will. I mean, because Florida would have still had a shot at the playoff. They, if they had won the game, people still would have said, oh, they struggled with LSU, but they still won. And you could have put it in the path, but now they've lost the game. And so, Dan, and then Dan Mullen's reactions today and yesterday, I thought were stupidity, making excuses for the young man saying, well, you know, he made a football move. The the, the uh, cleat came off, and I don't think he was taunting him. I don't even think he meant to throw it as far as he did. I mean, come on, coach. You don't have control of your players, and that's why he did that. When you hear Nick Saban say, we tell our guys we don't want you talking to the other team, then that's, you know, they, they put an emphasis on don't do something stupid, and that's why most times you don't see Alabama doing something stupid like that. I mean, and because right. Nick Saban has the trust of his team, they have discipline, and they don't have discipline at Florida. I don't think they had discipline at Mississippi State. When he was at Mississippi State, I mean, I remember him shooting his mouth off one year and saying, we can't wait to go win in Tuscaloosa, and I think they lost 38 to nothing. So, I mean, again, I don't put a lot of faith in Dan Mullen as a head coach. I agree with you. I think he's good with quarterbacks. I think he's good as as a good OC. He helped Urban Meyer win a couple of national championships at Florida. But I think he's just a good coach, not a great one. And that's where it's going to end right there. But certainly, uh, I, I do think we expect Devin Neal to be back this week at right tackle, and which means this whole line will be intact for Alabama. Landon Dickerson did not play the whole game yesterday. He was a little nicked up. They got him out. I thought it was wise of Saban, uh, William, that we saw a lot of starters coming out early in the third quarter. And we still saw some young guys like Adarian Dalcourt be back out there at center. And I thought 
we saw Jace McClellan. You saw what he did at the end of the game with the 80-yard sprint to the end zone. We finally saw Javon Baker catch the ball. You know, Bryce got some snaps. I thought overall, though, it, they, they got out of it what they needed to. The only uh, thing that went wrong was Harris's injury. Yeah, and, and, you know, as long as that's just a tweaked shoulder versus, you know, something that's torn, um, you know, that, that may not carry out beyond. You know, he might be limited versus Florida, might not be available, but certainly, you know, if it's, it's nothing more than a, a small tear, um, you know, he'll be back for the playoffs. But, you know, the, the, the thing that really jumped out to me, Drew, um, you know, once they started the mass substitutions on offense, and, you know, this is a guy that I had forgotten about. But, you know, after watching three or four plays, I had to look into my program. Like, who in the hell is that at guard? <laughs> that Damian George, that Damian George is a monster. Yeah, he's going to be in the mix, William, for right tackle next year. He And the thing about him is, I don't know if you remember seeing the photos when he enrolled before COVID uh, totally took, uh, took a hit and uh, they, everybody had to leave. But when he reported in January, he was not in good shape. I mean, he had a lot of bad weight on him. But it's yet another feather in the cap uh, to uh, David Balu and Dr. Matt Ray for what they've done with the conditioning of this group. Because I, I saw him on the field like yourself, you know, walking past the cameras. And he looks like a completely different guy. And he looks like a man mountain. So, to me, a guy like JV and Cohen – uh, Damian George, Amari Kite, it's going to even a Kendall Randolph to a degree, who, who's a more experienced guy, but also also plays tight end. I'm going to be interested to see who wins that right tackle job. Well, and there'll be people talking about J.C. Latham and Tommy Brockermeyer uh, when they enroll in January because they're the two top tackles in the country. But I think, and I got to give Kyle Flood credit for this too with the recruiting. It goes back to Mario Cristobal, and that's an ironic thing. We'll be talking about Mario here in a minute uh, with the uh, Auburn job. But Mario Cristobal helped recruit a lot of great offensive linemen, and I think they've started to restock that again. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this this offensive line class that's coming in this year is is just insane. Um, you know, I think certainly you know Latham is the you know the bell cow of that whole deal, but. Um, no, I enjoyed getting to watch some of those backup guys, um, you know, yesterday after they started substituting. And, you know, obviously because of the way that the, you know, the, the game had, had trended and, and the score and stuff, you know, and I wish, you know, Bryce Young would have had a chance to run the full offense, but obviously the, the circumstances dictated otherwise. But, uh, no, I mean, I, I think, you know, Kyle Flood has, has done a great job with the product that he's put on the field offensive line wise. And, you know, I think when you look at this offensive line class, that's fixing to come in for the most part next week, or excuse me, this week, um, just, just an unbelievable haul at a, at a position of importance. Yeah, it really is. No doubt about it. And uh, they're going to sign the number one well, offensive line class maybe the number one wide receiver group, depending on what happens with Xavier Worthy and Brian Thomas Jr. Of course, Brian Thomas probably very likely signing in February, but Xavier Worthy will decide between Michigan, where he would ruin his life, or going to Alabama. Uh, he might want to talk to Dax Hill about what happened at Michigan. And the, and the funny thing is, with this 
transfer rule coming up. Uh, we, we don't know the, the future yet of Jim Harbaugh, but wow. Uh, I, we're, there's a lot of rumors in the wind, William, that Dax Hill may decide to transfer to Alabama and try to right the wrong, uh, the choice that he made a couple of years ago. Uh, and he would definitely be in the mix at safety with the Crimson Tide. But I think a lot of fans have talked about the transfer portal as if it could, uh, that it might be a problem for Alabama because of guys leaving. But they never look at the other side of attracting players. And just look at the Landon Dickerson situation. Landon was at a place he didn't like. It was in the toilet, which is Florida State, and it's only gotten worse. Uh, and so he came to Alabama and now has a chance to win a championship and certainly has enhanced his value. So uh, the Dax Hill situation, I'll, I'll be interested to see if that comes to pass. Well, I will. I will as well. But you know that that safety dynamic back there is, is a little bit different than it was um, this time last year when Dax Hill decided to uh, choose Michigan over Alabama. You know, certainly if he wants to transfer and you know throw his name in the hat, I'm all for it. But um, you know that that Alabama defense, especially if you start trying to you know forecast guys into the starting lineup for 2021. Um, you know, I, I'm starting to feel a lot better about, you know, especially how this 2020 team can finish the season out defensively. I mean, they're, they're getting better at the right time of the season. Well, and I wanted to, I'm going to piggyback off of that, William, because I wanted to ask you about somebody else. We've already talked about Jalen Moody, and we talked about Christian Barmore. Uh, and I know you were wanting to see more out of him uh, a few weeks ago. But we've really seen Will Anderson get comfortable and start coming on. I think he's in the last three games, I think he's got four sacks. He had two more yesterday. He's really starting to turn those pressures into actual sacks and become a huge factor. Uh, and, of course, Chris Allen had a huge strip sack yesterday that led to a one-play touchdown drive, which, of course, uh, what was, was what we saw was a five-yard touchdown from Najee Harris, who is now tied the all-time rushing touchdown scores lead with a couple of pretty good running backs. They won Heisman trophies, Mark Ingram and Derrick Henry. Uh, so uh, what a career for Najee Harris, who had a brief uh, afternoon. He got a little, he tweaked something a little bit, so they didn't take any chances and they got him out. But he looked like he was fine at the end of the game. But you got to, uh, you, you know, you got to give Will Anderson a lot of credit. He and Chris Allen have become quite a combo at outside linebacker. No, absolutely. And, you know, I think the thing that, that, you know, makes Anderson so special as a true freshman is, you know, not the times that he puts the, the quarterback on the ground with a sack, but, you know, he's blowing plays up. I mean, I've seen him, you know, all the way back to the first game of the year, um, you know, where somebody was wanting to run a, a you know, a zone read option play. And, you know, he, he blew the, the, you know, the running back up, tackled the quarterback, but, you know, go back and watch this 2020 season um, over and over again with the number of disruptive, explosive plays that he's made in the backfield that whether or not he finished it off, somebody else did for a pretty nice tackle for a loss. Yeah, he really has. He's uh, And then I wanted to bring Thomas in here because he's been as uh, we all have. We've all been critical of Pete Golding. We've all you know, been bothered by the defense. But I agree with you, William, I, and I've said it as well. I, I think they're getting better every week. Uh, I thought it was still a really good performance yesterday overall. 
uh, when you hold the team to 188 yards and keep them out of the end zone. And then I thought it was significant. At the end of the game, Arkansas tried some razzle-dazzle just to freaking, you know, uh, score a touchdown uh, on a throwback play. But Brian Branch stayed home, picked it off in the end zone. He's going to be a fine player in his own right. But, Thomas, uh, your thoughts on what you saw from the Tide defense on Saturday? Well, you said it best yourself. You hold a team to 188 yards. You really, really shut that team down past the first quarter. The game was painful. It was it was almost painfully one-sided. It would be painfully one-sided if not for Alabama, being an Alabama fan. But anyway, the defense has matured. Now, I think in many cases the defense has feasted off of some teams whose coaching staffs really, 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 really mailed it in or didn't have a good handle on the coronavirus situation. But – you only are able to play who's in front of you. And Alabama, the Alabama defense has been dominant to the point of insane over the past six or seven weeks. I don't know what else they could have done, quite honestly. And that holds the team in good stead. Uh, I want to see really how Alabama plays against this Florida team. They're very one-dimensional. Florida, that is. But they're also far and away the most talented team Alabama has seen this year in terms of offensive production. I think in terms of overall team, Alabama has beaten better teams. They've annihilated better teams. I think Texas A&M, and we know the head-to-head with that group, but I think a and is just a better football team, period. But overall, the Alabama defense is continuing to round into form. You know, you're talking about a group of guys that – at the end of the day, had eight sacks, which that was really the last piece. It was all you know. You, we knew you had great, great boundary corners in Job and Sertan, and Malachi Moore has been a revelation as a slot corner. Daniel Wright drives people nuts, but it doesn't matter how much Daniel, how nuts Daniel Wright drives people, if the quarterback's running for his life a second and a half after the snap. So, I mean, by and large. I don't think there's any negative you can say about the Alabama defense. Yeah, do you wish that Pete Golden could have gotten it going a little bit faster so that we could have dodged the Ole Miss bullet? I mean, maybe, but but so what? It's rocking and rolling now. I, I put me on the train that says Alabama's two to three touchdowns better than Florida. And if you look across the landscape, you know, Clemson is favored over the Notre Dame Fighting Irish this week by ten points in a neutral site game. I think Alabama would be favored by 14 to 17 over Notre Dame. I think Alabama would be favored by 7 to 10 over Clemson and about the same for Ohio State. So whether that's offense, defense, special teams, or all of the above, that is a football team that is playing at a level that is far and away better than anything else in college football as it stands right now, Drew. Well, and I'll go back uh, to William on this. Uh, I just think Alabama better offense because Florida's one-dimensional, not much of a running game. Uh, we saw LSU turn uh, Trask over. He's got a knee brace on, so he's a little banged up. Uh, he, and he got some mobility, but I, it's nothing I'm, that I'd be afraid of. Uh, but, you know, uh, no doubt about it. But, I mean, I think overall – 
Uh, when you look at, I think Alabama's better in special teams. I think who who would have ever thought this? Um, you know, uh, Thomas. As I go back to you, uh, I, who would have ever thought that Alabama would have the better kicker going in? McPherson's had a good career, but he's been a little off this year, uh, no doubt about it. So uh, just a, a real a really interesting dynamic. And then Alabama, we just talked about them defensively. This Florida defense, I don't think has gotten better. And I don't, you know, look at what Max Johnson did yesterday. And Alabama, quite frankly, toyed with LSU. And I and I expect Florida to play at a higher level. But if Alabama is sharp, Thomas, I truly believe that they're going to win this game in, in around a 48-24 to 24 fashion. I just don't. I see them scoring some points. I just don't see them, uh, but you know, coming close to beating the tide. Though I, I don't. I'm kind of like you. You talked about before we came on the air that Alabama was going to drop 50. I would not be shocked at that at all if Alabama drops that much on the Gators. I think that this Alabama team, you know, they were they were they, a lot of these guys came back. Devontae Smith. Uh, we we saw Najee Harris. They came back to enhance their value, but they also came back to send a message. And, uh, you know, now they've, they've gotten through the regular season. It was unusual. It was not what they expected it to be. But you now you've got the three games you were looking for right in front of you, and they're the three biggest games of the season. I can't see Alabama being satisfied and coming out and overlooking somebody like Florida. I think they're in the playoff no matter what happens. But I think that they know Florida is the next uh, – uh, you know, uh, roadblock to getting to where they want to go. And I see Alabama dismantling Florida on Saturday night. Well, okay, Drew, you hit me with about eight questions. So I'm, I'm going to grab, I'm going to grab back those a little bit, but Alabama hasn't missed a place kick all year. Once more, right. once more with feeling Alabama hasn't missed a place kick all year. Never thought I would ever be able to say that. And, uh, you can't get better than 100%, and I watched Evan McPherson, who is a legitimately excellent kicker, miss one last night. So, you know, percentage-wise, Alabama's got the better kicker, at least this year. But, so, you always look, when I, when I look at a football game, you always look for stark differences. And the problem that LSU had this year, particularly on offense, is that their offensive line just wasn't very good. And it doesn't matter that you had okay, it matters, but it it's it's kind of it it would only slightly cover the problem that you had wide receiver opt-outs in Terrace Marshall and Jamar Chase. But that's, you know, whatever. It doesn't matter that that's the case when you can't throw the ball cuz your quarterback is running for his life. You can't run long developing plays. Uh, one of the things that LSU was able to do last year with Joe Burrow, because Joe Burrow was mobile and evasive enough that they could run a long developing play and then Burrow could go and launch the ball and they'd have wide receivers be able to win. LSU hadn't been able to do that this year. But so help me, I watched LSU mash that Florida defensive line on more than one occasion, on drives worth of occasions. And... Let's just be real here. If that LSU offensive line can mash the Florida defensive line that much, Alabama can do it too, and they can do it better. I don't think the Florida defense is very good. 
Uh, I think it'll be interesting to see how Alabama decides to handle Bretton Cox, who's a legitimately solid edge player. But by and large, the defense is not national championship worthy. And we said frequently that what would be the thing, what would it take to stop this Alabama offense? And we picked, you know, we kind of grab bagged a few units. We, we certainly discussed Georgia at the time, but I was all over that being not really the case. And here we are now. Florida's defense is middle of the pack at best, and we just watched them struggle against an inferior opponent. Now, it's not going to directly translate, but man, I just don't think Florida's very good on the defensive side. And I don't think Florida's offense is good enough to score every time they get the ball. I mean, you're talking about, Drew, putting so much pressure on Kyle Trask that if he throws one interception and the serve is broken, essentially, that Florida loses that football game. That's the kind of pressure the Florida offense has to deal with. And that's not a set of circumstances they've been in all all year. And so I'm on the train here. I think Florida is coming for a reckoning. Yeah, they are just the new the the next body in line for this Alabama death machine. But man, there's some holes on this Florida team. And more than anything, the, the other part of it, and we can go back into this even more, the Florida offense is Kyle Trask being able to read defenses. They have no running game, and what's Alabama just done? Eight sacks. Christian Barmore, Will Anderson. Give me Chris Allen, Will Anderson. Timmy Smith, Christian Barmore, interior, two interior guys and two edge guys, and just say, go get them, men, and just watch what happens. I promise you will get tons of sacks doing something like that. And that's all you can ask for, Drew. Yeah, I mean, I think the matchup really favors Alabama. Uh, and now Devontae Smith has turned into a real weapon uh, at punt returner. And then we, what we really haven't even talked about is the Heisman Trophy race. And I don't know if you saw these odds, Thomas. I know you're a numbers guy. I just happened to see them somewhere on Twitter. It's amazing, but it looks like the top two Heisman candidates after that debacle uh, for Florida on Saturday are Mac Jones and Devontae Smith teammates. Just truly stunning that, uh, that, that those two have risen to the top. And a big game from Devontae Smith saying, I don't think it's beyond question that he catches Thomas eight to 10 passes for 200 yards and then uh, turns around. And, and what if he takes another punt return to the house for 70 yards, ends up with three, four touchdowns and 270 all-purpose yards or thereabout? I think he could win the Heisman Trophy because we already mentioned in the show that I feel like uh, – He's the best player in America. Of course, if Mac Jones goes out and throws for 400 yards and four touchdowns, I think he'll win it. But I don't think it's beyond comprehension that Devontae Smith could still. And so so I want to make this point, then I'll get to yours, I promise. And with that, we are still, and when I say we, I mean college football world overall, is underselling how good Najee Harris has been. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's unbelievable. But to your point about Devontae Smith, I don't know how you come into it 
not expecting 200 yards from the young man. He's consistently shown up in the biggest games. Todd Grantham is a blitz-happy dinglebat. So he will blitz Mac Jones, which is the thing Mac Jones likes. So Devontae Smith will see single coverage. There, if, if Devontae Smith can cook Derek Stingley, Devontae Smith can cook anybody on the Florida roster. You know, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. Do not pass go. Do not collect 20 national championships. But it's just, it's crazy, but at the same time, it's defensible. And at the end of the day, if, you, if you're an Alabama fan going into this game, barring ca- catastrophe, like Mac Jones throwing three or four interceptions or Devontae Smith having five or six drops or something like that, Alabama's going to bring home the Heisman Trophy. It's all over but the shouting for that part. The decision now is going to be whether it's the second wide receiver in history or Alabama's first quarterback bringing home the award, Drew. Well, and and, and first of all, I, I would say that I, I would consider at least third because of Desmond Howard and Tim Brown. I mean, they were both wide receivers. Uh, but but, but I, I think Devontae has had a better year than both of them, quite frankly. Uh, when you go back and look at stats, uh, you know, a lot of times the quarterback gets all, a lot of the credit because, uh, uh, you know, uh, he's the one throwing the passes and there's other guys touching the football besides the, a guy like Devontae Smith. But see, it, it may have been a blessing in disguise for Devontae to start being able to showcase his talent, uh, you know, as, uh, you know, a punt returner because uh, the, the way he sparked the Arkansas game and then, what if he does it down the stretch and continues to show that he can affect the game in more than one way? That's uh, to me that that would be what could enhance his value and give him a chance at a position, as you just pointed out, though, that rarely has a chance to win an award like this. It, true. But at the end of the day, we'll see. I think it's a damn good problem to have. And it was something that we haven't talked about on this show is. Or, or really enumerated, I want to enumerate right now, is, for lack of a better term, the Devontae Smith problem. Devontae Smith is such a good wide receiver that you can't check him one-on-one. So you have to roll coverage to his side. Okay, you roll coverage to his side. Well, one of the reasons that Jaleel Billingsley was so wide open against LSU wasn't just a blown coverage. It was a blown coverage. Don't, 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 don't at me on Twitter. But... One of the reasons he's so wide open is that LSU is pushing stuff to Devontae Smith's side because they have to, because they need two or three pairs of eyes on Devontae Smith. That's the kind of thing that you get with an elite wide receiver. That's game, that's game plan altering and game breaking. So we'll see. It's one of those things where as angry as Alabama fans were that Jalen Waddell or Devontae Smith was returning punts and kickoffs, the spark punt return by Smith underscores why Nick Saban's so high on it and so demanding of that being the case. It's a spark play because to that point, Alabama's offense hadn't looked very good, whether it was mediocre to bad field turf. And that Arkansas field was rough. Oh, it was just bad. But for whatever reason, you know, pick your, pick your explanation, whatever you like. The thing about it is, and the thing about it was, that it was a spark for the team. After the punt return touchdown, Alabama ripped off 42, six more touchdowns over the rest of the game. That's, 
you know, I don't know what else you can ask for. Now, do you want him to have to spark the offense or spark the entire team against Florida or a potential college football playoff opponent? No, you don't want that. That's not something you're interested in. But if it were to come to pass, you at least have that in your back pocket. And again, that's that's a great spot to be in. Even if Devontae Smith doesn't get the Heisman, don't even talk to me about anyone else getting the Bolitnikov. I don't want to hear it. It is ridiculous. <laughs> like, I, I, I had someone try and get, in, get into that with just some friends at work, and they're like, he, she doesn't deserve it. I was like, really? And uh, that, that ended very poorly for that individual. But, you know, that, that's, that's really what we're talking about here, Drew. A truly elite player that, to this point, I, it's going to be hard to keep. He's going to go to New York for sure. And the only reason he, she won't get it is because he's a wide receiver as opposed to a quarterback, but still quite an achievement for those two young men and the Alabama offensive team coaches, et cetera, put together. Yeah. I mean, it, it has been. And then Mac Jones, I would still favor him probably because he could have a huge game uh, spreading the ball around against uh, this Florida defense, which, as you said, if they blitz him, if you notice, Arkansas only blitzed two or three times, and every time Mac Jones uh, absolutely uh, burned them. One time I remember to Mechie on a slant, and Mechie nearly took it to the house. Mechie's had some issues catching it at times, which has been a little discouraging, but still he's got over 700 receiving yards. I think as many or more than any Florida Gator receiver – uh, just to put it into perspective about Alabama's offensive production. Uh, but like we said, I think that uh, regardless, it, it does seem like uh, Alabama, with, if they can perform well in this game, has a chance and win it to add a third Heisman Trophy to the annals, which would tie the Auburn Tigers and be yet another uh, just thorn in their side to drive them insane. And speaking of that, Thomas, Gus Malzahn, after eight years dismissed today, we were mentioning earlier on our show uh, that uh, we were going to talk about Mario Cristobal, and we've mentioned in previous shows him coaching for his job. I think he lost it after A&M beat Auburn and Jordan-Hare officially, and of course losing to Alabama never helps. But only guy out there to beat Nick Saban three times, he's going to get paid $21 million to go away. And I'm hearing names like uh, Bill... Hugh Freeze, even though I do not think he's going to be the guy. The two names that I've heard that I, to watch are Mario Cristobal, whose wife is from near there in Columbus and in the, in the Atlanta area, and then uh, Billy Napier, who's also got extensive ties to Georgia. His father's a high school coaching legend there, and his brother coaches in the state as well. Maybe the reason he pulled himself out of the South Carolina search. Also, uh, you know, you're, you're, uh, you are hearing – Kevin Steele, who's the interim head coach now, could be elevated. But regardless, uh, an interesting position for Auburn to be in. Uh, and I, I would still lean to Mario Cristobal. But your thoughts on Gus being let go and who, what we've heard so far about the candidates? Well, so the Gus Malzahn situation is interesting. You know, I made the joke before we got this show going that obviously the Auburn AD had listened to BAM's radio because we were all saying give him a lifetime contract. <laughs> but right. joking aside, here's the problem that Auburn has, and it's the same problem 
that the Georgia Bulldogs had. And frankly, it's the same problem that Georgia still has. And it's a Nick Saban problem. (laughs) Nick Saban has completely shattered the norms and expectations of modern college football fan bases. Mark Richt gets canned because he can't win the big game. Brings in Kirby Smart. Well, looking around, Kirby Smart now is beating up on people, but he can't win the big game. His record is roughly the same as Mark Richt early, and that was what people loved about Mark Richt. So you look at Gus Malzahn. He's 3-5 and five against Nick Saban, and he at least won the West one time while competing with Nick Saban. That's the 2017 year. And if, if Alabama fans are thanking their lucky stars, the unsung hero of that season was Ronnie Harrison knocking on Johnson out because Auburn without on Johnson that year was just rough around the edges. But anyway, I don't know who you're going to get. You know, Mario Cristobal deserves a ton of credit for building the Oregon program. But if it's a question of money, Phil Knight has more. Hard stop. Don't even don't don't go there. If it's a facilities question, Oregon has better because they have Nike money. But anyway, I you know I, I and, and here's the deal. I look at the I look at Oregon, and they had a lot of turnover. They had dudes opt out and. There's, there's a debate as to how much how many inroads that Cristobal's made in recruiting in the West Coast. But what, be that as it may, I think the Oregon team's underperformed this year. I, I really do. And the Pac-12 is hot garbage, uh, just, just period. They're all bad. Like, nobody there – Auburn would be undefeated in the Pac-12 this year, and it wouldn't be particularly <laughs> close. But – so you've got Cristobal. I mean, I like Mario Cristobal. We've, we've sung his praises on this program, but I don't see it from a head coaching perspective. You know, what is it that, you know, you're going you're gonna to get excited and go get your popcorn for? Billy Napier, I, mean, he's, I think he's done a great job at whichever Louisiana school. It's ULL, isn't it? Help me out. Yes, well, University okay. of Louisiana, correct. Okay, I thought so. He's done a great job there. They were a ranked football team. But again – what about his credentials says better than Gus Malzahn, except not Gus Malzahn? I, I don't really see that. Hugh Freeze, uh, good luck. Uh, you know, Hugh Freeze was was able to beat Alabama by paying everybody an absolute mountain of money. I, I don't know after you do it one time and get caught that you're going to be allowed to continue to do it. That's just not, that doesn't seem realistic to me. And Hugh Freeze really did paint a target on his back with the shenanigans at Ole Miss, both recruiting and his off-the-field, let's just call it, deal and leave it at that. So I don't see it. I, 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 I understand you feel the need to make a change because you don't feel like you're going forward. And in the zero sum of college football, if you're not going forward, you're going backward. But show me a guy that Auburn's going to go get – that is going to be any more competitive than Gus Malzahn. Because I, I'm, I remain unconvinced that Cristobal and Billy Napier and Hugh Freeze can do it given the circumstances around all three of those coaches, let alone some of their credentials. Well, and uh, I agree. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see if it's Mario Cristobal. I mean, he was a great recruiter at Alabama. Not, uh, a good, not great offensive line coach. Uh, certainly, he's done a nice job at Oregon. 
he's trying to, uh, of course, there's a report out that he uh, may sign a long extension with them. But I've heard for over a year he's had his eye on the Auburn job to get back down south. Uh, and he may not believe he's going to have a chance to get the Alabama job and that he can still win. But you bring up a good point about Malzahn and beating Nick Saban three times. Not many people have done that. Billy Napier has a has never been on the Power Five level as a head coach, so that would be interesting as well. And then I don't know how you you uh, hire Kevin Steele and sell that to your fan base. Oh, I mean, it, I, I mean, if Alabama fans are putting up prayers for a guy to start, a guy to take the head coaching job, Kevin Steele, because that guy will run that program into the ground. Like, I have never been high on Kevin Steele. His defense only works with elite defensive line talent, which, congratulations, every defense works with elite defensive line talent. But, oh, my God, talk about a disaster hire for Auburn, but a great hire for everyone else. Yeah, I think I agree with that. I think it really would be. And and then to to speak on recruiting, uh, the early signing period will be this Wednesday. uh, So we will uh, have to wrap that up next week on BAMS. It's taking some twists and turns. This weekend, Shamar Turner took uh, the money from Texas A&M. And, yes, I'm saying this on the podcast. The kid was bought and paid for uh, by Texas A&M. Uh, you know, he, the, the whole deal was dirty from the start, just like McKinley Jackson last year. Uh, the, because the Aggies, uh, they, they can, if you look at their history, they can get down and dirty with anyone. I have friends over there, uh, you know, Billy Lucci and, and Owen Buchanan. They're awesome guys. But, again, I just know how that, that program is the Auburn of Texas, okay? And they, they're trying to strike while the iron's hot. Uh, they got Shamar Turner. I think they're going to get Tunmize Adelaide, and I'm, I'm fine with that. I'm not a big fan of Adelaide. I think he's a good player, but uh, I don't think Alabama's going to get Tunmize. And then I think Mason Smith is probably going to go to LSU on Wednesday. He's going to believe Ed Ogeron. Uh, they got that win yesterday, and if they beat Ole Miss, that they're going to trust that Ogeron's going to make the adjustments with his new defensive coordinator hire and the in-state pressure, and Mason Smith's going to go to LSU. So that basically leaves uh, JT out of Samus, Washington. He's not going to sign early. It'll be Alabama and Ohio State that are battling it out. You know, Mario and Oregon's got them lurking, but, you know, who knows? Mario may go to Auburn. We don't know that for a fact. We don't know what's going to happen yet. Uh, so, But I do think that Alabama's in the thick of that for him. They could concentrate on him in the February signing period. They need to get him back on campus. He's been once. They need to get him out there. Uh, but again, they'll be uh, they'll be in the mix with him. Uh, you know, and I think that they're they still got a really good shot at, at Brian Thomas Jr. from Walker, Louisiana. He'll decide in February. Same way with elite safety Terry on Arnold, because I think Sage Ryan is going to stick with LSU uh, and sign early. Now we'll see. I mean. I want to see what happens with Xavier Worthy. Is he going to stick with Michigan and trust Harbaugh and Josh Gaddis offensively? Because I, they're just a dumpster fire right now. Now, he would be a featured guy, but he would also, you know, at Alabama, he'd have to share the ball, but he would still be developed better at Alabama. So I'm going to be interested to see if he flips by Wednesday. And if Alabama, now that they know with some of these uh, defensive linemen that they're not likely to get them, Will they flip Vero Beach edge rusher Keanu Cott, uh, who had a great senior year. His senior film is unbelievable. Uh, there's been a lot of reports he might flip from LSU to Alabama, but I think they were also waiting on some of these other defensive linemen. So it wouldn't surprise me if Alabama, though, 
had about three irons in the fire for the late signing period. I still think they got a really good shot at signing the number one class in America. So we'll see. We just had some of those, some of these cards being played before Wednesday. So at least Alabama knows what's coming in, in many ways. So we'll see how the tide finishes out. I still think they're going to have, you know, as good a class as there is, if not the best in the country. Uh, and so really excited uh, to see, you know, how that turns out a little bit, no doubt about it. And then, like I said, I'll circle back. I think Alabama is going to win the SEC title, uh, 48-24. to I think that the MVP will end up being Mac Jones. I think he'll end up winning the Heisman Trophy. But it would be really cool for Alabama if, the, if they end up finishing one and two in the Heisman. Well, uh, Thomas, I don't know if that's ever happened. Did that happen with USC back in the early 2000s? It might have happened with Bush and Leinart, but I'd have to right. go back and look. That would be the only time that I can think of where – because the problem is you have to have – you're really talking about an elite quarterback and an elite running back. And if you think about every quarterback-running back combination, one has always pretty flagrantly overshadowed – you know, you talk about Derrick Henry, Jake Coker – or the other side being Kyler Murray and running back by committee type stuff. I'd have to look, but that's still, if it's not the first, it's one of very few, Drew. How's that sound? Yeah, no doubt. It would be an unbelievable accomplishment. And then right now, Jalen Hurts wins his first start in the NFL today, throwing for 167, rushing for just over 100, uh, you know, and throwing a touchdown pass. They beat the Saints 24-21, and this has to be the first time for the University of Alabama. And, of course, I've been critical of Jalen. I still am not sure he's a long-term starting quarterback in the NFL. But certainly give him credit for winning this game today against a, good, a really good Saints team. Uh, and, it's, and to me, it's just a positive for Alabama. Because now, for the first time since the 1960s into the early 70s, Thomas, Alabama has two quarterbacks that are active that are starters in the National Football League. And they were on the team at the same time. Tua Tungvaluwa loses to Pat Mahomes today, but that's only because he has tomato can skill people who can't catch shit, and, and they, he doesn't have much of a running game around him. If you could surround him with talent, there's no telling what he'd do. But the microcosm of it today, he throws for over 300 yards. He almost matches Mahomes, but he throws a deep ball. Would have been about a 40-yard gain. And Joaquin Grant, who's a good punt returner, but that's about it, leaps up to catch the ball, tries to catch it with his chest, and it ricochets off his chest to Tyran Matthew to be an interception. So that's just kind of a microcosm of some of the receivers that Tua has at his disposal. Jalen doesn't have a great supporting cast either for that regard. But again, I think you've got to surround the quarterback with weapons. That's what the Dolphins need to do. Some of, you saw them earlier today, I'm sure, Thomas. Some of those throws to a made were ridiculous, uh, you know, and and so we'll see. But I, to me, it's a boon for Alabama to have two active quarterbacks. Mac Jones could make three, so that's only going to help recruiting. And we all understand Steve Sarkeesian is going to leave at some point, either this year or next, uh, hopefully next year. I, I'm hearing now that Brent Brennan, the San Jose State head coach, is the front runner for Arizona. So. Sark may not be in the, as heavily in the mix for that job now. The one thing, Thomas, if we see Mario Cristobal go to Auburn, would be to worry about Steve Sarkeesian being connected to Oregon. Yeah, that would be 
that is a second order domino, that would be a problem for Alabama. But at the same time, Nick Saban's been through this before. He knows how to handle it. The only time it blew up in his face was with one Lane Kiffin. And And that was Lane's fault. Exactly. So, like, I I really want to time box this year, Drew, just me personally, because I think this team is very special. Let's let's play the what-if game. And I'm not going to say this is going to happen. I'm saying let's play the what-if game. So be very, very careful with how people take what I say. Should Alabama go on to be 13-0 and in this year, given the circumstances of the season and given everything going on both in the world and in the college football universe and et cetera, you're already talking about the only team to ever go 10-0 and in SEC play. That, that's something you cannot take away from the Crimson Tide. Okay, not only had they gone 10-0, and their closest game was a 17-point win against the Georgia Bulldogs, I think. No, 15 against Ole Miss, excuse me. Well, a, a, a two-score, a three-score win against, or a two-score win against a good football team. It's as close as it gets. Otherwise, it's just been destruction after destruction after destruction after destruction. Should Alabama finish 13-0, and this team has a conversation, has an argument, is part of the conversation, excuse me, has an argument for the greatest football team of all time. Now, I realize we I feel like we say that every year with every undefeated team after the end of a gru- after a grueling year. But again, Clemson was 2 years ago, then LSU was last year because of the offensive fireworks. Now, I think you know that that's where we're at with this. That's how good this team is or has been. And if they finish it off, we can have that discussion. But frankly, Drew I'm time boxing, worrying about Steve Sarkeesian to Oregon or Steve Sarkeesian to any West Coast school until after this season. I have faith that he'll be able to do his job at a good enough level and will get Alabama into the spot they need to be at to be successful going forward into through this season. Now, I want to go back to recruiting real quick and, and kind of I'm going to give you a softball here, so, so bear with me. But uh, one of the things that came up in recruiting that kind of that kind of left some some let's say some chapped fannies for Alabama fans this past year was one Arik Gilbert went to LSU and now nobody knows what he's doing. So I pose the question to you, Drew: What's going on with Mister Gilbert? Well, he went to a place that you know. He, it was a mirage. He thought they were going to do what they did with Joe Burrow every year. They were going to be that prolific offensively, and they were going to you know, be a factory, and they're not. I mean, they're a really good program, but they're not Alabama, and they never will be. Now he's going to be in the transfer portal, I think, soon. I don't think he'll come back to LSU. Um, it's going to be interesting. I'm, I'm sure Alabama will be involved. I don't know that he'll ultimately land there. If I were Arik, I'd be wanting to go to Florida and take Kyle Pitts' place. Because Pitts is about to be rich and be a, a guy that goes in the first round. He's the same kind of athlete. And quite frankly, I've been outspoken, but I think uh, Jaleel Billingsley, is, the Alabama's already got one of them uh, with, the, with, the, with, the, with what Arik Gilbert brings to the table. But certainly I think Alabama will be involved. You can't blame them. 
Uh, I've already mentioned Dax Hill at Michigan. A lot of the, you know, speculation about him maybe riding a wrong when he decided to go to Michigan when he should have gone to Alabama and being in the safeties ring for the Crimson Tide. So the Crimson Tide could definitely, you know, benefit from the transfer portal. We'll have to see. Gilbert has not officially left LSU, so until he does, it's just all speculation. But certainly, I, I would think that Alabama would be amongst the short list of schools that would be involved with him. And then we also have to talk about, you mentioned departures, Thomas. Butch Jones now finally will be leaving Alabama. Just, uh, he was been, he's been uh, basically an analyst and a special assistant to Nick Saban. He is going to replace Blake Anderson at Arkansas State. Blake Anderson, since 2013, had been in Jonesboro. He's now going to Utah State. So Butch is going to uh, go there. I don't think Carl Scott is going to be his D.C. and go with him. But I was hearing, and I, I, it's not, this has not been confirmed either, but I've been hearing that uh, Major Applewhite, another analyst under Nick Saban's tutelage, uh, and, for, and with Alabama for the second time, may end up going with Bush Jones. And if he does, I would think he'd be the O.C., uh, at, at, in Jonesboro, Arkansas. So that's going to be something interesting to watch. Butch Jones did a good job at Alabama. I always heard he, that the players liked him. He worked closely with the offense and the running backs. And you probably saw him Saturday talking to Najee Harris. Uh, but again, and by the way, that's another segue. I got to give a game ball to my boy Brian Robinson, who you know I've always been high on Thomas, but he always seems to, you know, just – for all the good he does, he, he may, he'll make a bonehead mistake. I thought he played the best game of his career yesterday. Uh, he had three rushing touchdowns, uh, no mistakes. And then I thought he made the biggest play on offense of the game on that third down play. I don't know if you remember this, but it was Alabama had not gotten rolling yet offensively. They had the punt return, but he converted a third down with a one-handed catch along the sideline, which Alabama cashed in for a touchdown short, short thereafter, I think, to go up 17-3. to three. And they never looked back. So I was just really impressed with Brian when they decided to give Najee, uh, you know, a half off. And I thought he was ready to go. And he's still a guy that I think can play in the NFL, has a lot of talent, size, and speed. And if he can get comfortable going down the stretch in the playoffs, I think it would be, you know, behoove Alabama, no doubt about it. But uh, I, and I'm not sure he'll come back next year. He'll probably have that option. Then I'll talk to Nick Saban. But he went through senior day. So I almost see him deciding to move on, but certainly hopefully he can finish strong. And I thought uh, he had a tremendous uh, football game, uh, no doubt about it, Thomas. He did, and good compliment to Najee Harris. Uh, again, it'll be interesting to see what he chooses to do. I think he will have options, frankly. And if he decides to move on, whether it's to the NFL or another team, because there is some talent behind him, Thank you for your service. You've done a great job for Alabama. Cool. But, I, I mean, again, great for – three, a three-touchdown game is nothing to sneeze at. And so, again, more power to him for doing what he did. Yeah, no doubt. And then, Thomas, uh, before I, I say a little wrap on and give my basketball take and we wrap up the show, uh, what is your prediction? I'm going with 48-24 Alabama over Florida. What is yours? So – this has been an interesting line. I've kind of gotten into the Vegas side of things over the past month or so. And the line opened up about Bama by 14. Uh, a friend of mine went over to the casinos in Biloxi and got it at 15 and a half. I have seen it as far as up as 8 to 17, 17 and a half, 18. Uh, 
And I don't think that's an unfair line for this game. The over-under is anywhere from 72 to 76, depending on your sports book. And that means, you know, Alabama in the high 40s, Florida in the low 30s, basically. Or low 40s, high, high 30s type stuff overall. I think Alabama is going to get into the 50s, and I think Florida is going to get into the low 30s. I have Alabama 51-31 in this game. Wow, interesting. 51-31, to 31, uh, true shootout. That would be one of the higher-scoring SEC championship games ever. But well, uh, I, I, Drew, I will say ahead. this. If we, go to, if we come back next Sunday and it was something like 55-17, I wouldn't be shocked. I, I think if you look at both sides of the ball – Alabama's going to get theirs, period, end of story. They are. What LSU was able to do affecting Kyle Trask, particularly in the first half, Alabama can do similar things. And if Kyle Trask has an off game or if Kyle Trask has an off half and Alabama jumps all over you, I don't know what that team's going to do because Florida has never been punched in the mouth extraordinarily hard this year. And frankly, they, the first time they ran into much adversity over the past few weeks when it comes to LSU, they folded like a cheap tent. They ran into some adversity against Texas A&M, folded like a cheap tent. If that happens in Atlanta, you know, if we're coming out of the first quarter of the first half, Alabama's up 31-10, that game can get out of hand fast. But I expect Dan Mullen will be able to circle the wagons and at least make a game of it. But Alabama's just too talented. Yeah, I tend to agree. I, that analysis is spot on. And and then uh, to to uh, end our show, just to talk real quickly about the basketball game, Alabama loses in Atlanta at the Hoopsgiving event, 64-56. to And predictably, a lot of Alabama fans are throwing the baby out with the bathwater, talking about the team stinks, and that I even read some lunacy on Tider Insider that they've hired the wrong coach again, and they're down on Oates, and why aren't they winning big games? It's five games in, people. They're still learning how to play together. Basketball is not a sport where you win every game. Should Duke fire Mike Krzyzewski because he's uh, canceling games and lost a couple already at home to Michigan State and Illinois? And you heard what Nate Oates said to Coach K or about Coach K and answered a que- had somebody answer a question for him that he had. Would Coach K be doing that uh, if they were, you know, canceling games and uh, not playing if they were winning. And I tend to agree with Coach O's. I, I don't think he would uh, be uh, postponing anything. But that's just the way it goes. And I still respect Coach K. I don't agree with all his political uh, stances. But And then Nate Oates came back out yesterday and apologized and said he'd talk to Coach K about it to see where he was coming from. And, again, this COVID deal is difficult. I mean, it's hard to, uh, you know, get any kind of consistency. But, again, I still think Coach K would be playing, and I think Alabama should be playing. They're 3-2 they're and two now. They've lost to two teams that are probably NCAA teams. They've lost a combined one game. Uh, you know, they just did not play well down the stretch last night. Uh, six minutes ago, they were up one and uh, ended up losing the game, uh, you know, by eight. They couldn't score the ball. But you got to understand uh, that, they, you know, at times with the way they play, if they don't shoot the three well, they're going to get in trouble. They sometimes do rely too much on the three, but I think they're going to get better as the year goes on. I do think Coach Oates is the right guy, more so than any other one they've hired. And they talk about building a culture. At Alabama basketball, you can't do it in just over a year. 
There's been this program has not been consistent. It's been consistently inconsistent. If you ever want to be good for a while, you've got to give a guy time. And we Alabama's given every coach since Wimp at least four years. Give him time to get his guys in there. It's a new team this year for the most part. He's got some seniors left over that he didn't recruit, like Herb, like uh, Alex Reese, like Petty. Uh, and now Bruner being brought in as a grad transfer. He's still learning to play with those guys. Look, man, they're going to get better. They've lost a couple of good teams. It's disappointing, but it's not time to say, oh, you know, this guy's not the answer. I mean, look at Kentucky. They're one in four. I think they've lost four in a row. You just have to continue to grind and get better, and I think they will, no doubt about it. I think they're going to have some bright moments in SEC play when this all gets cranked up. Uh, but certainly they need to continue to recruit and get better players, and I think they will. But don't just panic and just, oh, I mean, it doesn't do you any good to do that to me. I think you need to get behind the team, watch them, uh, and hopefully they will shoot better in the next game. Give Brad Brown Allen Clemson. They're in year 11 with him. He's the winningest coach in their program's history. And the coach Oates is just in the beginning of year two. So you got to give it time to take hold uh, because – Back in the day, there was Duke people that wanted to fire Coach K. I bet they're glad they didn't because it took hold. It just takes longer than a year. This is not football where Nick Saban can microwave it and you become good within a year. Alabama basketball is not that way. So you just need to be patient with it. They play East Tennessee coming up on Tuesday. Hopefully they can. Now that will be disturbing if they don't play better at home and get that win. But hopefully that will be the case and they'll get it. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit about that next week on BAMS. But it'll be a recruiting wrap-up. It'll be a little basketball. But mostly it'll be, hopefully, a celebration to talk about Alabama trouncing Florida in the SEC Championship and then talk about the matchup that you're going to see them uh, take uh, when they uh, make the college football playoff. Uh, on the, and then they'll announce that. So uh, we should have that matchup ready to go. And some even coaching news. Auburn will probably have their head coach in place by then. How is that going to affect Nick Saban? And uh, are there any more coaching departures? I know everybody's going to be watching Coach Sarkeesian. I think everybody I, – I know he's going to leave in the short term, either this year or next. I'm hoping it's after next because they're going to have so many holes to fill offensively uh, as far as quarterback. I think it's going to be Bryce Young and then wide receivers, even the running back core too. So it's going to be different. But just enjoy this team. That's what I'm doing. I agree with Thomas. They are fun to watch. They're as fun to watch as any Alabama team I've seen. And I think they got a really good shot to win the national championship. They just need to stay focused and take it one game and one practice at a time. But for Thomas the Wizard Watts, for William Redfish Barger, I'm Drew Yarman. Thank you for listening to this edition of BAMS Radio. We, we all believe that Alabama is going to trounce the Gators impressively and win uh, yet another, I guess, the 28th SEC championship in the storied history of Alabama football on Saturday night. But we'll talk about it next week. Good night and roll tide.